I understand uh, that uh, a little bit about this church. I actually met uh, Pastor, Pastor Ken about four years ago when we were both attending a conference in, in Ohio on church planning. I had the privilege of spending the, the, the car ride back with him and, and Pastor Larry Roger. I don't know, some of you may, may know him. Well, anyways, if, if you know anything of those two personalities, you know that the, the conversation was lively and interesting and intriguing. That was a very full and intense three hours of my life uh, that I was introduced to, to your, your dear pastor. And since then, I've, I've heard some reports uh, through... Uh, through uh, through others as well as Pastor Ken and what the Lord is doing, been encouraged each time. I'm excited to be here because we we are taking the last uh, six months of our of our life to share with churches what God is doing in our life as well as what He's doing on the mission field in Tanzania, uh, and encouraging. At least that's our our prayer is that we would be encouraging and equipping them uh, for the task of the spread of the gospel, not only here but but all over the world, and telling them how they can be a part of that if uh, if God so leads and provides in that way. And I'm encouraged to hear about your commitment to the spread of the gospel here and how God is growing the church, introducing the gospel to, to new people, and as well, growing the believers here. So I'm glad to have the opportunity to meet you. would like to meet you personally afterwards. Please drop by the, the table, pick up one of our missionary trading cards <laughs> so that you can be reminded of us, of what God is doing in our life, how you can be in prayer with us, for us, on our behalf. There is also a website on those, on those trading cards that, that uh, is our blog, is for our blog, that it, we, where we have updates, share with you what's, what's going on, and so forth. So in the time that I am spending with you today, I want to show you a video that introduces to you, or reintroduces to you, uh, Tanzania as a mission field, and what God is doing there, and how we plan to be a part of it, Lord willing. Uh, so I'd like to share with you now, before we show the video, a little bit about uh, ourselves and, uh, and what God is doing in our life now. So uh, Laura and I grew up in, in different circumstances. I was raised in a, in a Catholic home, Roman Catholic home, uh, where I didn't know the gospel until I was in, uh, in high school when it was preached to me for the first time. So I had a very good understanding that I did not deserve forgiveness and I did not deserve to go to heaven by that time. When the gospel was preached uh, that first time at a, at a Christian camp in Minnesota, when I was after my sophomore year of high school, I received the Lord after hearing it clearly for the first time. And even my parents, who to this day are not saved, they, they recognized that time as a turning point in my life. Even though that they do not believe in the Lord themselves, they recognize that something drastically changed in my life at that point. And God began to lead in my life to direct me towards vocational ministry. Now, Laura grew up in a Christian home. Uh, her parents were, were new believers not too long before she was born. And they grew in the Lord as she was growing in the Lord. Their, her teenage years were, were a great time in their family's life as they were growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And through that time, God was increasing her interest in going to the mission field. And uh, it was at college at Maranatha that, she, that God introduced her to a missionary family that serves the Lord in, in a small island in Micronesia. The name of the island is Yap, Y-A-P. They speak Yapese there. And, uh, and she was able to go serve the Lord there with that family for about nine months. Uh, teaching their, their kids on freeing up the parents to, to continue their service and ministry in the church. And so she came home at the end of that nine months to get ready for our wedding because that was uh, right, after, right after college for, for both of us. And so we got married, and as God continued to work in our life to increase our burden for, for the Lord and for missions and vocational ministry and work in us while I was at seminary as we were working through the decision of, of pastoral ministry uh, versus um, 
missions and going overseas. Uh, God worked in, in this way. I felt that the best way for us to serve, as God has equipped us, was to be a part of a team where we would be like-minded and unified around a, a, a set number of doctrines and as well uh, a way to do and to serve the Lord in, in the church rather than leading us into a particular place as he does with some people. So we considered different ministries, different groups of people that were, were planning churches, that were going abroad, whether or not th- that would be a good team for us to join and to partner with. And it was about that time that God introduced us to the work that is going in, mission, in, uh, in, in Tanzania and the team that is there. We were able to visit in 2009 where God introduced us to these people and what he's doing there, and we fell in love with it. And to this day, we feel like there's no better way for us to serve the Lord than to be a part of what he is doing there. Remember, um, similarly, about the time that I was wrestling through this, your uh, pastor, Matt, uh, was about to finish uh, his uh, Master of Divinity at uh, Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary. I had a conversation with him about how God was working in his life. He was feeling that, well, um, I'm about done with seminary. Now what? <laughs> it's not that, not that any of us would, or were questioning God's work in our life and our desire to be a part of vocational ministry. The question was, what do I do with that? And so there's been similar desires in our hearts as we've watched him grow in the Lord and uh, provide an opportunity for him to serve. So we're glad in that way. So at this time, I'm going to show that video. It's going to tell you a little bit about what's happening there in Tanzania, our plans and our interests there. Again, uh, I'll, afterwards, I'll come up and share a few words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And then after that, have some time for question and answer. So maybe you have some questions about us, some questions about ministry in Tanzania, or, or about a ministry partnership with us. So at this time, we'll show the DVD. This is Tanzania, one of the world's poorest economies, yet one of Africa's most peaceful nations. Though much of Africa has earned its reputation justly, Tanzania remains an island of peace in the midst of a continent troubled by violence. Unlike its East African neighbors, Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, and the Democratic Republic of Congo, Tanzania has enjoyed relative political stability. Yet its political peace by no means implies an easy life for the nation's people. Most Tanzanians rely on farming to support their families, but only 4% of the land is usable for producing crops. Natural resources abound in Tanzania, but systemic poverty limits the people's ability to turn these resources into household income. The daily challenge to make ends meet and the ever-present threat of disease has not withered the people's spirits. Tanzanians remain friendly and open, eager for you to join them for conversation over Ugali and Chai. After all, something more ultimate than physical and economic hardship faces these people of highest concern is the thought that the spiritual poverty of Tanzania may be just as great as its economic poverty. Over 45 million people live in Tanzania. Typical estimates divide the population equally between African tradition, religion, Islam, and Christianity. A mainstay of African thought, African traditional religions are actually a form of animism the belief that everyday events are understood in terms of disembodied spirits who interfere with the physical world either for your good or your harm. 
Some suggest that African traditional religion is losing its influence in Tanzanian life, while Christianity and Islam are gaining ground. This may be generally true within the cities, but a closer look at the majority of the population, especially of those outside the city, suggests a different situation. Statistics can be a bit misleading when you're trying to measure the spiritual condition of real people, especially from a distance. Evidences of Christianity are, are everywhere in Tanzania, but evidence that people are genuinely following Jesus Christ is just a bit more difficult to find. The fact is that not all forms of Christianity in Tanzania are biblical. The idea that Christianity can bring health and prosperity, like the kind that we enjoy in America, has fixed itself in the minds of many and made it popular to add Jesus to a prayer or to paste his name on taxis. But there's really nothing deeper than a hope that using the name of Jesus can bring a better life for them now. In fact, most Tanzanians don't naturally see a contradiction between accepting the gospel and holding on to African traditional religion. For example, when a person believes in Jesus Christ, they often add in Christian ideas to what they already held. So it's possible for someone to be familiar with Jesus Christ, but then interpret all of their day-to-day -day experiences in terms of good and angry spirits. Glasses are a common metaphor for describing how a person looks at the world. Everything that they see, they see through lenses that color or shade how they look or interpret or understand what's happening around them. But in this case, you have one person that's looking at life in two different ways. One that is Christian and one that is not Christian. It's basically no different than people in America who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, making a profession of faith and then go on to live just as they had before that profession. The difference in Africa is that some forms of Christianity brought over from the West have not been very good at explaining how the gospel is not compatible with African traditional belief. Since Jesus commanded us to make disciples, we need to understand the difference between someone who knows about Jesus and someone who is learning to follow Jesus. The greatest need of the Tanzanian people is to be reconciled with God and freed from sin. Their need is just the same as ours, to hear, believe, and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that the best way to meet this need is to partner with Tanzanian believers, assisting them in telling others about Jesus Christ, helping and encouraging them as they establish new churches and disciple believers to maturity. We are Matt and Laura Gass. It is our desire to serve the Lord as missionaries in Tanzania. We have been members of Inner City Baptist Church in Allen Park, Michigan since we were married and throughout Matt's studies at Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary. Now our church is setting us apart for the work of church planting and discipleship with others sent through Grace Baptist Mission currently working in Tanzania. We plan to continue the work begun around the city of Mwanza on the southern shore of Lake Victoria. It was there that Inner City Baptist Church sent Rob Howell to plant churches in 2000. Since Rob's arrival, God has blessed the preaching of his word and churches have been established in Swaya, Shadi, Nyakaliro, and Lusilelo. These four churches are now being pastored by Tanzanian men who are supported by the giving of their own church and the income from their own farms. This young church planning movement continues to grow towards maturity. A Bible institute has been started so that more men from these churches may be trained to teach and preach the scriptures and then be sent to plant and pastor new congregations. In 2006, an orphanage was added to the ministry in Mwanza. 
Its mission is to raise abandoned and orphaned children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, so that they may reintegrate into Tanzanian society and live productive adult lives that are pleasing to God. The orphanage was given the name Tumaini, the Swahili word for hope. In 2008, the Howells were joined by Dan and Jana Eads from Parker's Lake Baptist Church of Plymouth, Minnesota. Their first six months were dedicated to learning the language and culture of the Sukuma people, the prominent people group around Mwanza. As his skill in Swahili grew, Dan was given opportunities to teach and preach in the churches and Bible Institute. At the end of their first 15 months in Tanzania, the Eads had laid a solid foundation for life and ministry in their new home. In 2009, plans were being made to begin a work in a fifth location. The church in Nyakaliro chose to send Kamisi Pascal, a deacon and a Bible Institute student from their own congregation. Dan was also called to work alongside Kamisi, but in this ministry, the missionary would play an assisting role. With the committed support of the other three churches, Kamisi began preaching the gospel in Sangrema in January 2010. A small group of people are regularly attending, and discussions about baptism and membership have begun. And we are praying that this group will become a new church soon. The existing churches have stated their desire to initiate new works in the coming years. As the believers in Sangarema officially become a church body, Dan will transition to working alongside other men as each one is commissioned to start a new church. Rob has been asked by our sending church to assist in the training of missionaries in other parts of the world. He will continue to provide counsel from a distance, also returning once a year to teach in the Institute. His presence in Mwanza will be greatly missed, but it is also evident that this is a step forward in the growth of these churches. Pioneering work, after all, is much like scaffolding. It is a temporary necessity. There is still plenty of missionary work left to do. The church planning movement around Mwanza is in need of careful biblical counsel and encouragement as new challenges arise and new questions are asked. The formal training of new church planners, pastors, and teachers is still primarily entrusted to the missionary. God has been pleased to bless the relationship between Tanzanian pastors and the missionaries for the benefit of these existing churches. Even so, it is clear to us and the Tanzanian believers that there is no shortage of opportunities for the gospel to reach people who have not yet heard. Our desire is to serve the Lord by working alongside Tanzanian church planners so that there may be many more congregations of believers who are laboring to apply the truth of the gospel to their own lives as they tell others the same good news. The mission of our ministry is to glorify God by expanding the reach of the gospel through the planning of indigenous churches committed to the same objective. Specifically, our role in this ministry will involve the following tasks. First, serving as co-evangelist alongside Tanzanian believers who are making disciples and establishing churches. Second, serving the discipleship ministries of Tanzanian churches by teaching Bible content, doctrine, and methods of biblical exegesis in the Bible Institute and similar venues among the churches. Third, providing counsel and encouragement as a theological mentor for the leadership of Tanzanian churches. Just as our partners who preceded us, our first two years in Tanzania will be given to learning Swahili and the Sukuma way of life. The initial goal is to understand the people we are serving and how we can meaningfully share the scriptures with them 
We believe that this preparatory effort will serve to build trusting relationships with Tanzanians and guard against the shallow application of scripture. The need for the spread of the gospel in Mwanza is not merely an opportunity for Tanzanians to see God build his church. It is an opportunity for all of us to partner with fellow believers on the other side of the globe and rejoice with them in God's mercy and grace. If you would, open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, if you have them there. Let me uh, update some of the information that was given in the video. Since the video, um, one of the churches that was being planted at the time that the video video was made, uh, that church was just forming. That was the, the fifth of those, of those churches now. Uh, as formally organized, uh, they're working on a church building now. They've built a parsonage for their pastor. So that's been the latest addition to the ministry there. Um, they're still in fellowship with the, with the other churches, and now they're talking about a sixth location where they would like to see another church planted. And there's men there that are qualified and interested in going out uh, for the sake of his name to see another church planted. So uh, we praise the Lord as, uh, as that work continues to grow and the gospel advances there. Um, and a personal update for us is that we've been on the, on the road for deputation since uh, March off and on, sometimes busier than others, but uh, we were expecting things to go a little slower than what they are. God has blessed us and, and blessed the meetings that we've been involved with. Churches have decided to, to partner with us, and we're actually moving along faster than what we expected, which is a wonderful thing, because we would like to get there as soon as possible. So we're currently, we're at 45% of our, of our budgeted amount, which is monthly support, uh, speaking of monthly support. And we hope to be on the field in Tanzania in about a, about a year. And that's sooner than what we expected. And we're praying that God would allow us to do that, be there sooner than what we expected so that he can, uh, he can, we can put that, those resources to work in the field rather than in, uh, in buying McDonald's on the road, visiting other churches, and paying for gas and tolls and things like that here. So if you have your Bibles open to First Thessalonians 1, I want to talk with you a little bit about, about this chapter and about Paul's words here as he's writing to the Thessalonians in response to a, a report given to him by, by Timothy and, uh, after Timothy has visited the church. Uh, I want to focus on this chapter for just a little bit because I think it's instructive to us as we consider evaluating or thinking of young new churches, especially when we're looking at a church that's not like our own here in the States. Uh, particularly in the case now of churches that are overseas and cultures that are very dissimilar to what, we're, what we understand or what we grew up in. This is a great challenge and always has been for Christians. As we seek to see the gospel advance from, from person to person, we are encountered with a challenge as we encounter people that are not like ourselves, that are different from ourselves. And we know that kind of feeling when we walk uh, or we introduce to the person and try to start a conversation with them and we realize that we have nothing in common and there's this awkward silence as we talk with them and we realize that we didn't grow up the same way, we have different interests, we do different things with our time, we do different things with our, with our money and, and we have nothing in common that we could share that we could talk about to get to know one another. And there's, there's a little bit of an awkwardness as we work through that. That is a challenge then when we talk about introducing people to the gospel and then following Jesus as a, as a group. And then when they're together, there might be a conflict or there might be a disagreement, perhaps over things that are not, uh, not essential to the work of, of a church. 
So this has been an issue all along. Like I said, it's in the background of the New Testament, even as the believers in the, in the Bible are encountering this issue. You have a, a fundamental conflict between those people that grew up as Jews and those people that grew up as Gentiles, both following and genuinely believing Jesus Christ as their Savior, but having different ideas about how to follow him. That tension between them is worked out in the pages of our New Testament. It comes up in different places. Like in Acts 15, you have a council that's called together to work through these issues. The council is at, at Jerusalem, and they, they were discussing these things. You have a, an entire book, uh, in some sense, the book of Galatians that's dealing with these things, and chapters in 1 Corinthians, 5, uh, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. They're dealing with these issues where the application of the gospel means slightly different things for people depending on how they grew up, that is, what culture that they grew up in. One way that the church has addressed this problem since the pages of the New Testament is actually to start churches that are like us in, in every sense. That is, that they have buildings like ours in the States or in, in Europe. They, they organize the same way. They're, they're led exactly the same way with the same kind of committees, the same kind of, same kind of leadership. Their, their standards would be exactly the same as ours they, so that they would dress the same, they would dress the same, they would have the same, listen to the same kind of music, they would do the same kind of singing in their churches and so forth. Now, not all of these things, I think we can agree, are essential to the spread of the gospel. Some more important than others, perhaps, but in no sense does a church building need to look the same everywhere. And you can appreciate that <laughs> perhaps more than most places that I talk to. Okay? Your building looks different than most churches, <laughs> Right? At worst case scenario is that these churches that are new, newly forming, uh, they misunderstand what it means to follow Jesus Christ. If somebody comes along preaching the gospel, even preaching it clearly, and then alongside of that preaching or that instruction tells them that in order to follow Jesus Christ, you need a building, you need music like this, you need all, that confuses people, creates extra obstacles in the worst case scenario. In best case scenario, it has caused problems, it has caused uh, disagreements, and has not helped the growth of, of the church in some places. And so I want to look at 1 Thessalonians 1, where Paul is considering what has happened in this city and in this young church and evaluating what has happened there. And I want to ask the question, as we look at these young churches that are in cultures that are not like ours, how do we evaluate what is happening there? What should a young church that is growing in a healthy way, what should that look like and how should we evaluate that? So I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians with, uh, 1 with, uh, with that in mind as we ask that question. Verse 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. 
For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Now, the, the setting of this letter is that, is that this church is very, very young. Paul was driven out of Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonica after only having spent a very short time with him. Okay, he says in the book of Acts, in an the account there, that he spent three Sabbaths with this church before he had to leave. Now, he, he may have spent longer, some, some believe, but we're talking at most a few months before he had to leave this church after first coming to them to preach the gospel in this town. So, and, and it was been several months after he had to leave, before he was run out of town, that, that he was, uh, before he was able to hear anything about what was happening there. So imagine the anxiety that he felt, the questions running through his mind about what was happening in this town after having spent such a short time with them. I mean, what could happen in three months? A lot could happen in three months. But these people, no doubt, did not have the training that Paul desired them to have. They did not have the instruction about how to do church. We think about how, how, many, how complicated that could be. So all these questions running through Paul, uh, he was not able to come himself to see what was happening there, so he sent Timothy. Of course, it was more dangerous for Paul to go, so Timothy was able to go and then give a report to Paul about what was happening, and then Paul's response was positive. Paul's, that's why he begins with this thanksgiving. And he gives us reasons why he has reason to give thanks to God for what is happening there in Thessalonians. These, these reasons that he gives thanks are what we want to focus on. As he evaluates what is happening there and gives praise to God, these are the things that show us, that, that, uh, show us positive growth in these people's lives. These things are important to Paul and they ought to be important to us as we look at others. And so he gives us these three virtues in verse 3 as the first point, as evidence to him that there is good growth in this church. And then he gives us an explanation of these three things, these three virtues, and then he, he validates his explanation. So those are the, the three points. So these virtues, he considers his evidence of, of good growth are in verse 3, and they, they are three different ones that you see them marked out by the words work, labor, and, and steadfastness. So... The virtues that follow them are faith, love, and hope. Work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. These are the things that affect the way that people respond and apply the gospel to their life, that express love to one another, meeting other people's needs both within the church and outside of the church, expressions of faith and perseverance in spite of perhaps great persecution, the same persecution that fell upon Paul and drove him out, was no doubt with these people, so they had great reason to abandon their profession of faith and to backtrack, separating themselves from Jesus Christ. But no less, they, they continued, they persevered. So we have, we have work of faith, which is their, their works that are consistent with the gospel that they received, their labor of love, their compassion towards one another, and their steadfastness of hope, their perseverance even in the midst of great persecution, perhaps. All these things work together in Paul's mind. They... They travel as a package. They're a package deal in his mind. They show up throughout his, his epistles. They, they show up together even in this epistle in, a, in another place. For him, they go together because they're, they're like fruit on a, on a tree that is healthy. If you wanted to see that a tree is healthy 
and its roots were strong. You, would, you wouldn't be able to dig it up and look at the roots themselves, but you could look at the fruit uh, that's on the branches, the branches themselves, and the leaves. And, and the health of those things would give you an indication of how strong the roots are. If you want to know, likewise, the health of a person's profession or their faith in God, you could look at the fruit that's in their life. And Paul has a habit of looking at these three, these three things in particular, their faith, their work of faith in particular, their, their love for others, and their hope that they have in Jesus Christ. These, these three things happen over, over again, I say. But he says that these things are not a, merely a coincidence in their life. They don't show up just after the gospel was preached to you, just as a matter of coincidence, but there's a real reason that these things show up in your life and that you're evidencing these things. And he gives us this explanation in verses 4 and 5 for why we're seeing these things. He says... Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. He knows that God is at work in this specific way. When the gospel was preached, it did not come to you, verse 5, in word only, but also in power. And he gives you these, these three evidences that he knows that God blessed the preaching of your word. He said it came in power, that it is probably in the miracles that attended the preaching of, of the word. It came in holy, the, the Holy Spirit, which is a, a way of saying that it came with conviction, personal conviction for what was being preached. And then it also uh, is a conviction then that resulted in conversion. And then full conviction that is an ongoing result. Uh, these people continued to believe what was preached there. So there was a, there, this, what they believed uh, and what began when Paul preached the gospel there wasn't merely a flash in the pan. These are no false or weak, paper-thin professions. These, are, these believers are the real deal. And they continue to follow the Lord even in the midst of opposition. And that is, in turn, what he says proves to us that his explanation of what's happening there is true, okay? So there's no coincidence that we're seeing these things after they believe the gospel. God is at work in them, okay? And I know that and I can see that lastly because there is something in their life that shows that they're, they're applying the truth that was pre- preached. They follow a pattern that was first displayed to us in Jesus Christ, a pattern of living that, that Paul followed and now these Thessalonian believers are, are applying the word to their lives in the same way that other believers have. And that proves to Paul, and ought to prove to us, that there is something good happening, that these people are genuine believers. He, he points that out in verse 6. He says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So not only did they, they believe and they continue, but... They believed and they persevered in the faith, even in spite of great persecution. So why do, why do we point these things out? Well, these, these things that Paul identifies are in, in a beginning of a book where Paul addresses many bad things that are existing in, in, this, uh, in this church. Okay? He's addressing many problems that Timothy told him about. And the pages are full of issues that he needs to address. That means there's, there's sin, there's, there's tension, there's, there's morality issues in the church. Okay? These things are existing alongside of the things that Paul recognizes as evidences of genuine belief and good, healthy growth in a church. How can this, how can this be? Well, I think it's a recognition of things that are important to us. So then as we consider what happens in a little church, a new young work that's growing, especially in a place that is very different from here, what do we look for? Well, in, in short, we look for growth that is consistent with the application of the gospel to their life. 
following out in a pattern where people are, are enduring and persevering, even in the midst of hardship and perseverance. The people that you saw on the screen in that, in that video are examples of this very thing, and we praise the Lord for it. This doesn't mean that, that the churches there are perfect. They are immature in many ways. And so um, <laughs> there are many issues that need to be dealt with. And that's why, that's why we want to go and continue working. But we're glad to have Tanzanian man, men pastor and lead these churches nonetheless because this is, it's better for them to do that, to be led by their own people that God is raising up for them. But these, these men have not been believers for very long. Wouldn't call them novices in the faith by any stretch of the means, but there's a lot left for them to learn. And there's issues in the churches which still need to be resolved. But what we are seeing is the evidences somewhat like what Paul identifies here in verse 3. We see people repairing relationships that are broken. We see people with a, a growing heart of compassion to meet the needs of the people that they, that they know, that in the church and as well outside of the church, just as Pastor Ken was preaching this morning. We see people that are persevering in the midst of hardship. We pe- see people that are committed to knowing and learning God's word, even when it becomes somewhat more difficult for them to do so than it would be for us. So, for instance, one of the men uh, there, his name is Leonard. He's actually a, uh, he's a, a farmer, like most of them by trade, a subsistence farmer. So that means that they're, they're, what, they, what they grow and what they raise on their own properties is, goes first to their own families. If there's anything left over, then it might provide some income for them to uh, build a house, uh, perhaps to uh, meet uh, exceptional needs and so forth. But they're, all these men in that video are basically scraping a living. They're, they're focused on daily income at, at best. Leonard is not an exception in that he is, uh, he is up until a few years ago, is illiterate. Means he has, like most of them, he has no more than a sixth grade education, and some of them do not know how to read. Leonard did not know how to read, but yet he had a great interest in understanding and learning the scriptures. So he enrolled in the Bible Institute that was mentioned on the video to see if he could overcome that need, that his lack of ability to read, and still gain from that institute. And it just wasn't working out for him, as you could, as you could imagine. So he, he dropped out of institute and hired a tutor for himself so that he could learn how to read. And has since re-enrolled in, in the Bible Institute so that he can continue to learn. We have other people that are, are uh, greatly interested in learning the scripture that do not have churches in their, in their own hometowns. And so the way that they overcome that obstacle is that they get on their bike on a Sunday morning and they, and they bike uh, 12 to 15 miles to come into, uh, come into one of these churches so that they can hear teaching and preaching from, from the Word and to sing with God's people. You have people that are willing to overcome what would be unassailable obstacles here in this country just so that they could learn and grow in, in grace. You have evidences a lot like what Paul has. And, and at the same time, you see a lot of, a lot of issues um, that are still problems uh, that are being dealt with and, are, and ought to be dealt with. So when we look at the people that were mentioned in this video, as well as in churches that are, that are abroad, uh, in uh, cultures that are not like ourselves, how should we evaluate them? How should we look at them? Are these people perhaps the subject of what we would consider a good National Geographic? Are they, are they different? Is there, is there any way in which we can learn from their example? Is there any way that we could sit down with them if we had the opportunity to in a conversation? Would we be able to recognize that these people are believers 
And then as the conversation continues, would there be anything that they could give to us that would encourage and challenge us? And my argument is yes. They can be great examples to us, just as the Thessalonian believers were examples to the believers in Macedonia and Achaia as they worked out and applied their faith to others. I want to encourage you in that way as, uh, as you watch what is happening overseas and the ch- missionaries that you support and, and Lord willing, um, see what happens in these churches. So uh, at this point, I wanted to open it up for questions. We can use the remaining time to, to do that. Maybe you have some questions about us or some questions about what it means to... Yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. The question was. All right. Good. Good. Yes. The question was, what is our relationship with the other conservative gospel preaching Baptist independent uh, missionaries uh, in in Tanzania? And the answer is yes. There are there are missionaries in Mwanza and around Mwanza that are preaching the gospel and doing a good job. We would not see ourselves in competition with them. My understanding is that, is that most of the, the missionaries closest to us are focused on, on churches and planting churches in Mwanza itself. So probably wasn't clear in the video, but we're actually not in the city of Mwanza. We're just outside Mwanza. It wouldn't be called suburbs <laughs> technically, but in villages just outside of them, expanding out from Mwanza itself. Mwanza as a city is about uh, 850,000 in the, in the city itself, and then the surrounding area is about 1.2 million, and it is growing, growing quickly. Mm-hmm. So there, there are good people that are doing a, a good work. Uh, yes, over in the, in the sweater. The question was, uh, are they receptive to, the, to the, our ministry there, or are they, are they resistant? And the answer is that they're, they're generally receptive. So they are, as a, as a culture, they're very receptive and very hospitable people wanting and eager to have you in, to get to know you and really to talk with you. And that, and that eagerness is, is genuine. Um, the, the real issue that, that becomes difficult, as it, as it is with a lot of countries, is the technical term is, is, is syncretism. The, the video talked with a little bit about this in which you have people that are, you know, grow up in African traditional religion, which is animism, believing that their ancestors are, are, are objects of worship, and trusting and, and fearing them and their interference with their life. And so when a missionary comes along, typically, they take the preaching of the gospel and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and just kind of toss it in with African traditional religion. So they're glad to have you there and they will come to church and they will visit and they will in some way adopt Christian ideas to what they believe. So they're they're very receptive. The issue is really going beyond that. So you see in Tanzania a a lot of evidence of missionaries having been there. But the problem is that that's not true biblical Christianity. It was a... Another, was there another question over here? Oh, boy. One of the great blessings um, that, that we've learned on deputation has, has been uh, being introduced to people in churches that we wouldn't have the opportunity otherwise to be introduced to. Uh, and that has been a, a wonderful, wonderful thing for us, to sit down and talk with pastors that have been serving the Lord faithfully for, for years get to know their families and to see what's happening there. It's opened up our eyes. 
and challenged perhaps what was uh, what was more or less like a um, an Elijah syndrome that you know that here we are faithfully serving God you know in in our little corner of the world you know doing well and there's little else that he's doing outside of it and this has served to correct that and to, and to challenge that and uh, and God has worked and blessed us in ways that we we have not expected moving us along in a way that that is that has challenged us and at the same time has has uh, challenged my lack of patience <laughs> at, at times. My emotions go uh, like on a roller coaster. So it's one day I think that it, things are going very well, the next day I doubt that, and the next day it, it, it reverses because it's a very, very hard thing to schedule, to plan, and to and to understand. So thank you. There was a push mic there. How prevalent is the prosperity gospel? Very prevalent. That's a that's a hard question. Uh, is it does it come from the West? Probably, but not necessarily. Uh, so, I have I mean the the prosperity gospel as a as a matter of history really took root in South America quickly before it did before it did elsewhere. At the same time, it was becoming popular in the states. Now, the timing of whether and what their what their relationship is to Africa and how it got over there, I don't know. And uh, it's been something that's interested me, but, but the, the records, tracing how that happened and, and, and who was the influencing factor and, and all that is just really hard to come by. So, yeah, it, it, is, it is very prevalent and it is, uh, it is great concern. You have itinerant preachers that come through town and they hold, they hold, uh, they hold meetings where they're talking a lot uh, about, about healing and and uh, about prosperity without mentioning Jesus Christ at all. They claim to be Christian pastors and evangelists, but they don't talk about the gospel. They don't talk about Jesus Christ even. They may heal in his name or so-called heal in, in his name, um, and they sap people of their, of their money and make them poorer than they were, giving them false hope in, in that kind of healing. Yes? Uh, the question was uh, our conflict with uh, the Muslim faith there. Mus- uh, Islam is growing in uh, Tanzania and in, in East Africa uh, as well. Um, it generally is, is stronger along the coast. So we're inland from the coast in the northwest corner. So it is left, less prevalent where we are. There are mosques in, in Mwanza. But how strong it is really I don't have a very good feel for. I know that on the coast, so on the other end of the country from us, about 98% of people on the, on the coast in Dar es Salaam and in Zanzibar claim to be Muslim. Um, so it's very strong there. Um, on the other end of the country, it's less so, but uh, no doubt is, is an issue. Yes? The question was, uh, are we going to be dealing with uh, overt demonic activity and... Um, I don't know. <laughs> there is a, there is a. Uh, depending on who you ask, there's a lot of demonic activity there, even in Tanzania, as there is with others. And no doubt, no doubt, the uh, the witch doctors that are part of animistic religion would claim that they're, or be involved in that to, to some degree. And so, um, 
their tendency, it's hard to really get a gauge on that because their tendency is to explain everything in terms of demonic spirits or, or in ancestral spirits in some way. And those, that explanation, of course, we would naturally doubt because we would have a different explanation for it than that. But we believe from Scripture that, that there are spirits that are involved and we are engaged in warfare with them in, in some form or another, whether or not it's overt and how overt it is. Lord willing, someday we'll know. I, I hope not, but we'll know better. Maybe uh, one more question, if there is one, and then I can close in prayer. Yes. Yes. It's a, it's a good question. So the question had to do with uh, education levels that are, that are common among people. And uh, like a lot of developing countries, they're... they're that are that are growing but not quite there. Their their uh, elementary or primary education, their resources are all going towards that first. And so, when there's a lack of resources, their secondary education is usually what suffers. And to make up for that, they have since they can't enroll everybody in public school in the at the secondary level, they have a test at the end of the sixth grade to uh, to limit the number of people that can actually go and enroll in secondary education. So that's why you have. It's more people that have finished at sixth grade and are not permitted to go on. Uh, so generally speaking, most of the people that go through public education through those first six grades do not pass that test. And they are not permitted to come in. You have people that uh, go through perhaps uh, private schools that have a better chance of, of getting into the secondary education and, and continuing to go forward. This is a, a common situation in a developing country. And... Um, since you brought it up, a related issue is really how, how the kids at the orphanage are going to be educated, since we want something better for them than uh, to go back to a farm. You know, part, of the, part of the problem is with, with orphans, they don't have any family-owned land because they don't have families. And so how do we as, uh, as caretakers of these, of these children um, plan for their future when, when there is no promised livelihood after they leave the orphanage? So they need a better education than what the public school can supply. And so as of this year, uh, they're actually being introduced or being taught at a private school. And they, they travel an hour away to get to the public school. They, come, they leave at 6 in the morning. They come back at 6.30 every night <laughs> and then spend most of their evening doing, uh, doing homework. Imagine that. Um, but, but the relationship is very good there. And so we have a of hope that they're going to be able to go in not only into second, secondary education, but learn a trade and do something more than, than subsistence farming. That's a good question. Well, I don't want to keep everybody. I would, again, like to meet you, and I would like to close us in prayer, so I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Dear Heavenly Father, I, uh, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the power and the truth and uh, the influence of the gospel here and in Tanzania. So I pray, Lord, that that we would first apply what we've been considering today to our own lives, being challenged and encouraged by the gospel, that we would know the truth of it, love others that are around us, and seek that you would be glorified as the gospel is preached through us in the relationships that we have. And I pray that you would bless this church as it continues to faithfully follow you giving the gospel to those that have not yet heard and have not yet believed here in this area and to support those, partnering with them in good gospel partnerships as the gospel is preached in in other places outside of our own community here. 
I pray that you would bless giving wisdom to guide the resources and bringing people along that you are raising up to go for the sake of your name. And I pray that they would, uh, they would do so, giving glory and praise to you as you work through them, giving the gospel to those that have not yet heard. So I thank you for this time, what you've done. I pray that you would continue to bless us this day as we go forth and meet others and uh, consider the word that you have given to us today. We pray in your name. Amen.